You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about the variety of topics covered on the show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider becoming a monthly donor to support my work and allow it to continue to go on and be free for all to access for as low as 99 cents a month. Visit the Support the Show link on my site's homepage for more information. Hello everybody, and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. On today's news roundup, tons of big stories to get to, so let's just dive right into story number one. I'm going to start with the darker, bad news, the concerning news, the negative news stories, and then get to the exciting stuff. First, negative news story. Mixing two different stories about... Some disappointing developments regarding girl groups. Soojin has officially left G-Idol. This follows months of rumors swirling about her past behavior as an alleged school bully. So she's officially left and G-Idol will now be five members. Meanwhile, on the show Girls Planet 999, Yujin from CLC said that Cube Entertainment recently talked to CLC members and said, we have no more scheduled group activities for you from here on out. So that's not an official statement saying we're broken up forever, but it is quite telling because K-pop group schedules are so jam-packed for the whole length of the group's lifespan, basically. They almost always have at least a year's worth of plans for the future already laid out. Everything is laid out so far in advance to squeeze in as much promo for the group as possible within the contract's time span. So to have an empty schedule coming up, not a good sign. As of recording time, that's the uncertain state of this. But of course, probably by the time this episode airs, there will be a new development, which I will cover in the next Headline Roundup episode. The biggest news always comes after I release an episode, of course. My prediction, honestly, is that both of these groups will not stay groups for very long now, or at least not renew their contracts as a group. G-Idol, for instance, Soyeon and Yuki have both had very successful solo debuts, showing that they really have very distinguishable sounds, both from G-Idol and each other. They're showing very different interests musically in what direction they want to go. Plus, Minnie is always doing stuff for promo in Thailand, on magazines there and stuff. So she's been pretty booked and busy elsewhere. I just feel like the combination of the pandemic keeping the members apart and eliminating the fun uniting events that help them bond, like going on tour together, mixed with this time where they've been able to see the benefits of pursuing solo creative outlets, I feel like that's a combination for them to realize we don't want to be in this group forever. I just don't see G-Idol escaping the seven-year curse. And you might be thinking, but they're so, so, so successful and have had remarkable success at a global scale. Why would they give that up? Well, they could continue having that global recognition as very successful soloists, I think. So that is just my unfortunate prediction. Would love to be wrong about that. As for CLC, Sorna's talked before in not as direct ways as she probably would like to, but as much as she can in subtle ways, she's expressed her dislike for a lack of promo for CLC, and so I'm not surprised. I didn't expect them to last past the seven-year curse, even though it's been less than seven full years, but you know what I mean. That K-pop curse that seems to be 
always in effect after just a few years of being a group, I can totally picture that wearing down the CLC members as well. Which is very disappointing, but again, I think the members individually could really thrive, especially Sorn, because she already has that online presence and has shown her unique personality to us through her own social media channels and her solo single. I think she could definitely have a successful solo career. And I don't rule out the chance of any future CLC or G Idol reunions either, so keep that in mind. There could be a brave girls effect or a brown eyed girls effect where these groups that we feel like were pretty much unofficially done come back and maybe come back better than ever. So give them some time to figure out where they want to go creatively, I say. We shall see. Quick trigger warning, I'll just save it for the first half of the episode, the conversation about the latest charges against Soon Lee as well as more on the Chris Wu situation, which has to do with alleged sexual assault and, in Soon Lee's case, being found guilty of sexual crimes. I would like to give a bit of background now about the Chris Wu situation. Now that more time has passed and what piece of the puzzle this has, how this story fits into broader narratives regarding how celebrities are viewed in China, I just find really interesting. So now it is really, now we're getting a fuller picture of how this story is abnormal and in other ways just par for the course regarding tabloid culture in China. Quick update about what happened. After an accuser came forward accusing Chris Wu of taking advantage of her in all the ways discussed on a previous episode, she also claimed several other women had similar complaints against him. This resulted in brands either severing ties with Chris Wu or just distancing themselves from the situation. Now it's like Chinese media as a whole wants to distance themselves from this situation. After Wu was detained by police, before any official charges have been brought against him, within those first 48 hours of him being detained, his entire discography was wiped off streaming platforms. You can still actually see it in the USA, but in China at least, it's gone. If you search for his name in China right now, the search result just says, the search result cannot be displayed according to relevant laws and regulations. Even celebrities, famous influencers who have come to Wu's defense, have had their social media deactivated. 990 accounts to be exact. For, quote, picking quarrels and provoking trouble, attacking the government, and malicious marketing, unquote. Brands continue to drop him, although one car company, Hanzo Auto, had their group chat messages leaked where they said, they were making jokes about maybe we should hire him now. I'm sure he's free. And the company had to issue a public apology. The backlash also caused the employees who had been sending those leaked messages to be fired. This speaks to the report I am discussing I will link to on my site as always. This links to what the past two to three years have looked like in China regarding the Me Too movement there. Where it's interesting because when it's times where it feels like Women who are leading the movement there feel vindicated, feel seen, feel like their concerns are finally being treated as concerns. The government doesn't necessarily take that narrative and run with it. They don't use this as an opportunity to talk about that movement, but more so to talk about celebrity culture. They shift the focus away from the women who are leading feminist movements. Instead, they keep the focus on celebrity culture. So interestingly now, 
state media has been framing this as a big indictment of celebrity culture, not a big indictment of toxic masculinity, feeling like you can take advantage of women without getting in trouble, etc., etc. But they describe it as a cultural reckoning regarding the tendency people have to lionize celebrities, the tendency to put people with bad values on a pedestal, viewing just this obsession towards famous people as, this is proof it goes too far, look at all of these accounts defending this bad man. So they're condemning his actions, but they're doing so in a way that does not further the cause of women's rights there, but rather puts the onus back on the fangirls as they see it. This conveniently taps into a narrative started in China in 2018, because that is when they decided to crack down on pay disparity. So the uber-famous could no longer be paid more than 40% of total production costs on a movie or TV show. This was a big deal because uber celebs there were getting paychecks that took up over 40% of the total money doled out for the project. Actually, one actor, Fane Binbin, had to pay back $129 million because of this new law. She even stopped acting after this quote-unquote scandal. She was seen as greedy and unhirable. Then there's the whole situation with Jun Xuan. She was heavily ridiculed for getting this excessive pay. And this was really, really tabloid fodder, not just because it was relevant to the current cultural conversation there, but also because it had to do with everything tabloids love. It was part of a bitter custody battle. Her ex was the one who was planning to leak all of these secrets about her excessive paychecks. And after he leaked messages, the public realized she had made $25 million on just one of her projects she was acting in. For context, she got $25 million for one of the projects. Huge names in the USA, like Meryl Streep, earned around that much for a whole year's worth of projects. So her project worked out to about getting paid $320,000 per day. Fans were outraged by this investigation into this, but she was willing to cooperate with it. But adding a whole other layer here was accusations of tax evasion in response to this massive paycheck. Again, before any guilt was determined. My point in tying these two separate stories together is two things. First of all, I am specifically citing a Vice article I linked to on my site that I thought did a really great job connecting these things and driving home this argument I agree with, which is, two, the fact that past genuine reasons to be concerned about celebrity culture, idol worship that may go too far, may be misguided, etc., etc. Those past discussions about some genuine concerns provide a very convenient foil now to redirect the outrage right now over the Chris Wu situation, to redirect that outrage so that people are not feeling motivated to join the Me Too movement now. Instead of this being this galvanizing moment, they've turned it into one that just keeps a conversation going they are more comfortable having, I guess. Moving on, Soon Lee, the latest update in his case regarding the long-running Burning Sun scandal we've talked about at length before. He was found guilty on nine separate charges. Habitual gambling, to prostitution, to Food Sanitation Act violations for his club. He was found guilty on those nine charges and now is going to spend the next three years in prison. He was actually arrested on the spot in court 
after the sentencing was made official because he's considered a flight risk otherwise. He also must pay an over 1 billion won fee, which is over 994 million dollars USD. And he must join a registry of those found guilty in special cases concerning sexual crimes. He was cited as totally not credible and viewed as changing his testimony over time being basically the death blow to his claims of innocence. Let's move on now to the much brighter, wholesome stuff. There are some really interesting new articles in the online Weavers magazine. First of all, they share a bit of info behind the scenes about the making of some of BTS's latest singles. Butter took eight months to create. It was all virtual, really. Butter actually was initially a song more about materialism and kind of just like feeling better because you went shopping or whatever. But that consumerism focus seemed so not BTS that they scrapped those lyrics. Dynamite also had its lyrics changed after being considered not BTS material due to what they call vulgar lyrics. Very curious what those specifically were. And Permission to Dance changed because Ed Sheeran initially wrote that song as kind of a proposal, a song with a very specific scene, a romance song, but BTS wanted to make it broader, more universally relatable. This goes to show how much they truly do try to unite people and heal everyone in the world through their music. In the piece in Weavers about the making of butter, there is a really interesting quote. Music has become more meaningful since the pandemic hit. At a time when it's difficult for anyone in the world to travel, to meet others, or see them in person, music is one of the few ways to allow people around the globe to share in a common experience for a few minutes. This holds particularly true when it's a song that people around the world listen to as soon as it's released, as is the case with BTS. That was a really interesting framing. I think that makes a lot of sense. BTS music doesn't just connect with people around the world because they actively, consciously try to connect with people around the world, but also because schedule-wise, it just unites people because we're all rushing to the world premiere to watch the video. So everyone is having this collective experience together whenever there's a new BTS song. Plus, it's a way to really feel like you shared an experience. And that's what my other podcast, How to Stand, is all about, is how cool and communal fandom life is. Our pop culture interests say a lot about not just who we want to be known as, but who we want to surround ourselves with, what they're like, too. It's a very cool feeling to, even if you're doing it virtually, bond over something with others that you just watched or listened to as well. Getting excited over the same thing. J-Hope was interviewed about the full edition of Blue Side that he released earlier this year. He talked about the wanting to burn blue lyric. He said, quote, It's a place I escaped to that I could safely live in and be swallowed up by, but I don't want to do that. I think I tried to show that I want to stir up my passion for the things I wanted to do, even if I'm burning blue to death. So he looks at the hottest flame as maybe the most painful to the touch, but then a good metaphor for, hey, I'm passionate about what I do, and I want to continue to do it even if it gets that hot, that dangerous in a way. He also had this really great quote about free time. People might wonder why you're doing things that won't help you in life, but I think that's important for everyone. Society is always seeking out the things that are useful, and that's good too. But for our sake, I think we require time to find stability in our own minds. 
even if it looks useless in the eyes of others, unquote. That is a perfect way to put the importance of taking time for your mental health, taking time outside of work in general to see who you are. I love that way of putting it. Hey, we need to schedule time to find stability in our own minds. So if you've got a ton of spring cleaning on your to-do list, make sure you put cleaning inside your mind on there too. Taking stock in inventory of your own mind too. And the way you stop to recharge doesn't have to look like doing puzzles, doing something with a material output so others can see, hey, at least you're still working just on this other thing. No, it can be whatever makes you feel good. I just love the way he made it sound like, even if it looks useless, that is a valuable me time to have. Lastly, Jin was talking about his solo song, Abyss, and especially the lyric, Enter My Ocean. He said that before the pandemic-induced shutdowns, quote, I never had a chance to meet myself, and I just felt like I was submerged in my own ocean and came back up to walk on the beach. I thought that was a cool metaphor for getting to know yourself after you neglected that time to be introspective for so long. Like you were submerged in an ocean, now it's time to walk up on the beach. There is also an interesting Weverse article about TXT and their impact and identity, the unique core of youthfulness their music maintains. They talk about how cool it is to feel like they're your friends growing up, not just because of their relatable lyrics, but because of things like their very specific and quirky song titles that make you feel like you've cracked a code of sorts by what they're trying to say there. They also really talk in an interesting way about youth. These are two separate quotes, but I'll read them as one big paragraph. Quote, To those who keep eyeing two rabbits and lost both, youth is freedom. To the middle-aged to begin every sentence with, if only I were ten years younger, youth is opportunity. To those who firmly believe youth is youth if, and only if, accompanied by pain and suffering, youth, because it is painful, is just youth. We were all young once, is not wrong. The anticipation, however, that youth will take on the same shape for everyone goes beyond naivete and enters into the realm of ignorance. They push themselves in order to paint an image of adolescence as close to the original form of youth as possible. More specifically, their aim was the origin of youth, not the version of youth that has suffered a whittling down at the hands of so many people until losing its essential quality, but one that can be felt only by those who are piercing right through the very heart of adolescence, unquote. They pursue an unfiltered, bold, unapologetic form of youth and reflect on what does youth mean at the end of the day to all of these different people and how can we boil down what youth is while at the same time in our music doing anything but water down what youth truly is all about. Next big story, we have an update on K-Contact, aka Virtual K-Con. Coming back for round five of being virtual, September 18th through 26th. This time it's going to feature an augmented reality opening number, what they call music rooms, personal talk, and separate live chats. What any of those descriptions are really talking about, not revealed yet. I'll keep you posted. Very vague information is out so far. Just that date and then that. The first part of the lineup will be out August 18th. Round 2, the 20th, and the third round of announcements will be the 25th. The daily schedule breakdown will then be released August 27th. You can watch it on TV in Korea and internationally on Mnet's YouTube channel. It's worded kind of like 
they plan to do something offline, but maybe, my guess is if they are doing that, it's gonna be kind of like BTS's Festa was this year, where maybe the artists do go on location somewhere new and special, but I have a feeling all the audiences will stay virtual. But an audience may come back in person for the VMAs this year, which air September 12th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on MTV, and the VMA nominations are here. BTS is nominated in five categories, Best Pop, Best K-Pop, Best Choreography, Best Editing, and Song of the Year. For Song of the Year, Dynamite is the song nominated, but Butter is the song nominated in every other category. I want to share with you now some of my dream scenarios for the VMAs. Not gonna happen. A couple of them might actually happen, but for the most part, just me fantasizing. First of all, BTS wins at least as much as last year. They won four VMAs last year. So they could top that and win five this year, but that would mean 17 would not win in the best K-pop category, so I have to withhold full-throated support of them winning five this year, sorry. What I would love to see also this year is this being a moment for NCT to perform, because it's so funny, it feels like we haven't seen them in ages, despite the fact we keep getting singles and subunits and 10 solo song just came out. We constantly get new content and remixes from them between comebacks, yet we still, it feels like, are waiting forever for the next big album. It would be awesome if they did make their full return to the spotlight by at least the NCT 127 subunit just charging on stage during the opening number. Like a big war back sign, a big banner, planting a flag on the stage or something, break dancing, whatever they want to do, make some noise, have a big flashy return. Definitely would be down with that. I would love for CL to debut a song off of her upcoming album on stage as well. I would love G-Dragon to make a big return. Maybe link up with Flo Rida again. Just because everything feels like it's 2009-2010 again, so might as well. I would also love to see Espa involved because maybe they need to build up more of a catalog first, but given this weird era of virtual events, I think they could add something really fresh to a virtual award show of sorts with VR characters, their avatars, as part of their performance. I think they could do a lot with cool 3D special effects. I just think they could totally shine this year specifically. I would love to see the VMAs debut Lisa's solo song with DJ Snake, that collab that's coming up at as of recording time and unspecified date. A little teaser at the VMAs would be epic. And my last dream scenario is that Luna got a nomination. Or honestly, just more girl groups. I feel like with Western award shows, it's always Blackpink and Twice and G-Idol now and again. And I honestly am not thrilled with the best K-pop nominees, just because they feel a bit random and not as recent as they could be. Like G-Idol's Dum Dee Dum Dee, that is not their most recent song. That was out a year ago. Blackpink and Selena Gomez's Ice Cream collab from last year is nominated. Seventeen's Ready to Love. Okay, we love to see that. BTS's Butter, Twice Alcohol Free, and Monster X with Gambler. All that I like. It's just, I feel like they should have picked a different song for Blackpink and G-Idol. I know it's a different timing thing, but K-pop moves so fast that to pick a song that was out a year ago feels 
ancient at this point. It just feels a little random. I'm very curious behind the scenes how the K-pop nominees came together because it feels a bit random. So those are the main stories of the day. Now for your rapid fire headlines. AOMG artists have an online concert coming up. Via my music taste site, you can see Yugium, Lehi, Wu, Loco, and Gray at this show, August 28th, 7 p.m. Korean time, which Chicago time would be 5 a.m. 2 p.m. also has an online event coming up, a global online fan meeting to celebrate their 13-year anniversary. That will be September 4th. Golden Child had their July 17th and 18th concert postponed, and now it is just canceled, though. Due to this COVID surge in South Korea, they just can't have staff working even a virtual concert. So that is officially, the postponed show is now just canceled. You can get a full refund from My Music Taste if you request one. The newest MCs for Music Core, Jenwoo from NCT and Lino from Stray Kids. NCT Life returns to season August 30th. Some 17 updates. First of all, a new Carrot membership kit reveal is happening August 20th, 2 p.m. Korean Standard Time. Second of all, their latest OST is out now. It's called Is It Still Beautiful? And yes, yes it is. 17's version of In the Soup is coming to Weavers starting August 29th, and then you can catch new episodes through Weavers every Sunday and Tuesday. Meanwhile, 17 just had their Carrotland adorable online fan meeting, and they hosted over 98,000 carrots for four hours of fun. Speaking of things we love to see, all SM Entertainment site album purchases now will finally count towards Hanteo chart rankings. Monster X's Minghyuk is the latest ambassador for Champion. Red Velvet's Joy is the new ambassador for Todd's, an Italian luxury brand. Taeyeon SoundCloud has finally surpassed 24 million total streams. Congrats to Ten, whose single Paint Me Naked topped iTunes in 16 regions. Hyo and BB's new single Second topped iTunes in 8 international regions. Golden Child's sophomore album nearly doubled the sales in the first week they had for their debut album. This time it sold, in its first week only, over 126,000 copies. The Blackpink movie was in theaters a weekend ago. Almost 500,000 people around the world went to see it, which may seem like it should have been more than a million, but it's during a pandemic, so this is still actually really huge. Dasam from Sistar has signed with Story J Company, home to a ton of famous actors, Blackpink has a new feature in the PUBG Battleground game. BTS won International Video of the Year at the MYX Awards in the Philippines. Schumann from EXO, who previously did test negative for COVID, now tested positive after he started experiencing symptoms. This was August 5th. It caused all the EXO members who did test negative, luckily, to go into self-quarantine, and that meant Kai missed Super M's latest online concert. Congrats to Juhani and Hyunwan from Monsta X, who are the new hosts of Idol Radio. It will be official now, airing Mondays and Thursdays through the Universe app, 8 p.m. Korean Standard Time, 6 a.m. Central Time Zone. And you can hear it worldwide through the Universe app. Taeyeonsan Blue has surpassed 4 million streams on SoundCloud. And his video for Lawn Flight has surpassed 19 million views. 
Sunmi's video, You Can't Sit With Us, has probably way more views by the time this episode is out because it just keeps climbing, but as of recording time, it has 45 million views. Reaching 200 million views, Big Bang's Effort and BTS's Airplane Part 2, the Japanese version. Reaching 500 million views, Butter by BTS. BTS's song Dynamite has surpassed 1.2 billion views. Twice's song Fancy makes them officially the first K-pop group to have two songs with over 100 million streams on Billboard's Japan chart. The first one was Feel Special to reach that in Japan. From Us 9 will officially be managed by Pletus Entertainment going forward, which some people are concerned about because they worry they're the next pristine for that company, but honestly, I would hold out hope things will be better for them because, think about it, whenever anyone is associated with Pletus now, they're also linked to the resources of big hit music and HYBE labels. So if this had happened years ago, before the HYBE merger and everything, I would be more concerned. Don't give up faith that there will be support for From Us 9. Jenny Son Solo is the first K-pop female soloist video to ever surpass 700 million views. Butter by BTS has been certified platinum in Japan and has sold over 250,000 copies. Blackpink's How You Like That dance practice video is the first dance practice video period to ever reach 800 million views. And Love to Hate Me just passed 100 million streams. That's a song worked on by Tushar Apta, friend of the show. Just a PSA, check out our conversation called K-Pop Talk with Tushar Apta where we talk about the making of that song. Anyway, doing really well, so congrats to him. Lots more in store for the show this week. Very, very excited for the next episode. I'll keep the theme a secret, though. Thank you all for listening, as always, and I will talk to you all again very, very soon.